Welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur, a podcast for business entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors who want to do more with technology, accelerate their business, and avoid the pitfalls of software development. Hello, and welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur podcast, the podcast dedicated to applying technology to real-world business problems. My name is Phil Telfer. I'm the co-founder of Clear Sky Logic, a tech agency based in Edinburgh. Continuing the current theme of energy, today my guest is Sarah Morgan, founder of Lukiat Consulting, as well as being a non-exec director, board advisor and consultant with a wealth of experience in senior roles in the energy sector and other industries. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Phil, good to be here. Great. Could you give us a brief intro into your current role and perhaps a bit of background into some of the other highlights in your career so far? Yes, of course. So I'm founder and coach at Lukiat Consulting, and I work with businesses and individuals to help them define how to maximise their performance with businesses looking at how they can uh, maximise their processes and their technology, making sure that the employee is at the heart of that so that they have great performing teams or as individuals working out how to get out of their own way and remove any self-limiting beliefs so that they can really achieve their career goals. Prior to setting up, I was customer services director at Good Energy and prior to that, head of customer operations at OVO. So about five years working in customer operations in the energy industry and in both roles, very much around leveraging the technology and making sure that the processes were aligned to that to make sure that they were able to meet their customers' needs. But before moving into the energy industry, in my early days at OVO, I was in tech, technology operations, technology delivery. So that's very much been my my background prior to that. Great. Thanks for that. Yeah, so all that experience in commissioning technology into the energy sector, yep. can you tell me why you think technology is so important in that sector? Given how complicated and convoluted many of the systems and industry processes are leveraging technology to automate a huge amount of the the backwards and forwards that's needed between supplier organizations industry organizations to meet the customer's needs if it was left to the somewhat archaic manual processes uh, you need a, a cast of thousands in your, your operations teams and the delays to the customer when they have problems would be immense. And what I found particularly at OVO was being able to automate some of those processes, not just to meet the customer's needs quickly, but to get ahead of problems before they impacted the customer, to really focus on proactively resolving customer issues before it was impacting their bills, before it was impacting their their experience. Customers don't want to care about their energy. They just want the lights to come on when they switch the switch. The way the industry set up just doesn't make that straightforward. Yeah, no, there's a lot lot of people involved potentially, aren't there? And Mm. and the numbers of customers are very high. Uh, And there is, as you say, there's a lot of potential things to go wrong. And if technology can help to lighten the load there, it can play a huge part in making things run much more smoothly. I suppose yeah. it's not always easy to get things right. Yeah. Did you get, have any examples of where 
technology has, has maybe missed the mark in terms of what it was trying to achieve. Definitely. When I think about the pay-as-you-go customer base, trying to automate some of those processes to ensure that the customer's needs were met, but overcomplicating it, thinking about the top-up journey and the top-up journey in an emergency scenario where somebody's run out of credit, mm. trying to overcomplicate that and ending up in the situation where customers were then unable to get their accounts back on track and ended up with that debt running in the background because the full end-to-end customer journey hadn't been thought through fully. So I think sometimes the keep it simple policy is missed when people get into the technology arena and they they can overcomplicate, not thinking through all elements of the customer journey. Um, so you end up with a unexpected outcome for the customer. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, it's really important thing to have those clearly defined goals when you're commissioning or implementing technology solutions. Yeah. There must be some really good examples that you've seen over the years and some of those perhaps that you've, you know, you must have been personally involved with. Are there any particular ones which stand out where you could you could perhaps look at how, you know, why were they so successful and what were the problems that they solved? Yeah, absolutely. So one that I'm I'm especially proud of is the objection rejection process which anyone who works in the energy industry knows is quite a convoluted manual process in the majority of cases. And the average energy CRM really doesn't manage it particularly well. So when a customer's trying to to change supplier and the previous supplier makes an objection, there are a number of industry flows that need to be triggered. And certainly in high volume businesses where you're attempting to onboard large numbers of customers, You need to get in touch with the customer, trigger flows, wait, reapply and repeat for up to uh, three times. So we looked at all of those industry flows, all of the different touch points and what the customer did and didn't need to do at which point and automated that journey from end to end. So from receiving an objection, contacting the customer, reapplying, contacting the customer, reapplying right the way through to We've tried three times. It's not going to go ahead. We're going to cancel your your switch. And we saved about four FTE in terms of the manual effort. And it is the dullest job in the world doing that, that objection process. So those four people were then able to be repurposed onto more proactive, more detailed problem management for customers who were in a really, you know, there was a really tricky industry issue with their switch rather than simply you've got debt on your account or you're still tied into a a contract with your previous supplier which can be managed through automation and customer customer communication and we managed to to land it just as the organization I was with went into a massive drive to 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 gain more customers and they onboarded about 120,000 customers in about 11 days so wow. having, having some of that automation in place in time for that was, um, yeah, incredibly helpful. Yeah, no, that's a really good example, I think, because one of the things that I really love about bringing technology to a company is people often fear the change of a technical solution coming in. They often fear for their own livelihoods and their own jobs. But And that can happen sometimes. But I think that the best situations are when people who are currently doing things which are really tedious and you say kind of brain numbing processes that are just, you know, that 
people will get bored of and they'll get bored and then they'll make mistakes. Computers don't get bored. They don't make mistakes. They will do exactly what they're told to do. Yeah. Only the kind of the application will make a mistake and it hasn't accounted for something, perhaps, you know, the complexity of something. Yep. I think, yeah, the ability to, to free people up and to allow them to make more intelligent human-like decisions about things. So working the edge cases makes for a much more interesting, you know, day um, for those people. And it's you know, segmenting the automation and getting the computer to do the boring stuff, which is all the kind of happy path, and getting the people to do the the less clear human-based problems, which are you know more interesting, more varied, and just better suited to, to a human brain. Absolutely. And it's interesting seeing how quickly the business case can stack up to resolve technical debt. So another example was one of the onboarding systems was essentially putting a a space at the end of every MPAN and MPRN. So as the customer was being onboarded into the CRM, it was being rejected because the space wasn't recognised. And the the plan had been to employ a human to sit and to remove every single space to re um re-put them into the database. Um whereas you know it was it was a, a very simple two-week sprint for one developer to just make the tweaks to the the code to make sure that that space was deleted from the end of the the MPAN or MPRN absolutely ridiculous that they genuinely thought recruiting a human to do that was better yeah no it sounds like a five-minute job to be honest as well well yeah <laughs> i don't know who quoted two weeks for that one. Oh, every sprint was two weeks <laughs> okay there's been a lot of publicity around i think recently around a lot of the the tech first energy suppliers and i guess i'm thinking of octopus bulb you know in the media there's been these, these companies seem to have risen above you know purely being energy companies they seem to have become now quite well-known entities in their own right. Do you think that it's it's possible for you know, companies now to operate in any other mode other than thinking of themselves as being a technology company first rather than an energy company that, that uses technology? Oh, that's a really interesting question. And there's two or three layers to that, I think. So firstly, the energy industry is being dragged into, well, the 20th, never mind the 21st century, with smart metering and more data being available so that consumers are better able to understand their consumption and make decisions about how to improve the impact that they're having on the planet. And to be able to do that, every supplier organisation needs to be able to leverage and present that data and, and use it in a way that's meaningful for consumers. That said, I think there are still swathes of the population who do like to be able to phone up and build trust with an organisation, particularly the older older populations. So while I think technology first and having really straightforward, simple, self-serve capabilities, being able to use live chat or, or email conversation if there is a problem, is useful for the vast majority. I don't know that entirely removing the personal touch is necessarily the right way to go. So that's one one part of it. The second part you say about Octopus, one of the things that I've found brilliant that they've done is open up their APIs for their tracker tariffs. 
And so individuals have been able to build an application against that API to trigger when they should charge their EV or run their tumble dryer when the energy is either at a very low or even a negative cost. An octopus will essentially pay them for doing their tumble drying because there's an excess of energy in the network. And I think that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the capabilities that supplier organisations can enable consumers to leverage. But ultimately, for 99% of energy consumers, they don't want to care about it. And therefore, an organisation putting tech at the heart of their supply capabilities to ensure that problems are resolved without consumer having to get involved in any way, shape or form, to be proactive at resolving any of those issues and proactive at showing the consumer how they can get more out of their their energy is certainly going to provide competitive advantage, leaving some of the the more dinosaur uh, legacy system-led organisations behind. Yeah, no, some really interesting points there. I think that it is almost for, you know, if you are involved in technology, it can be tempting to think that everybody is a digital customer. Yeah. Whereas clearly there are, you know, significant parts of the population who, you know, don't have access to digital tools or don't want to. Yeah. And those customers still need to be, provided for i think that there is a good argument for the the ability of uh, digital transformation to lower cost to serve across the customers who will engage in that respect to help to partly subsidize the additional cost that's required for non-digital and so that it actually can be quite inclusive you know if you're if you're making really big strides in your digital transformation you know, and, and lowering your costs that way to to sort of spread out the uh, your ability to you know interact with another sector of the of the market as well. Yeah, now that's a great point in terms of being better able then to serve vulnerable customers by having more time and energy for them. Pardon the pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, what you're saying there also about the what I think is a really innovative and quite an interesting sort of glimpse into the future possibly is the uh, the half hourly domestic tariff which Octopus have. Yeah. And I think that it projects something like 24 or 48 hours into the future so you can see in advance what the costs are going to be mm. and make those decisions. I think, you know, are there other similar things that you're aware of we think, you know, possibly let's say over the next 10 years, you know, we might be in a position to you know, leverage data like that and, and take it and automate it rather than it being simply notifications. Can you kind of give us an idea of what you think, you know, what sort of position we might be in 10 years from now with, with things like that becoming more normal and more widespread? Yeah, so I think as we get to a place where most homes have an electric vehicle and or a battery, being able to automate that so that when there is an excess of renewable energy in the grid, using that to charge your car, charge your battery. And then when there is a deficit of renewable in the grid, being able to then either use that within the home or sell that back to the grid, it gets to the point where we're able to overcome the frequency response problem that the grid has with renewables. 
So at the moment, if there is a deficit or a surfeit within the, the grid, the dirty power stations just spin faster or slower to be able to get that back to a level to keep the grid in balance. And obviously with renewables, they're either always on or they're always off. There's no kind of go fast or go slower capability. So having that in-home capability to balance the grid, if it's across enough homes within the UK, I think will really open up the opportunity for us to close down the dirty power stations and and more of the dirty energy and, and really shift to much greater use of, of renewables. That's yeah. one thing that I'm, I'm quite excited to see in the future. No, I love the idea of the um, selective pulling from the grid at points in the day and then storing that in batteries, whether that's in your car or attached to your home, and then drawing from those, those storage devices locally, either for your own home or, or perhaps back to the grid or even possibly even better than that as a kind of peer-to-peer relationship where you're not actually you may be selling it back to the grid but actually you're you're transacting with somebody else but on a kind of a live auction even where you're you know trading it theoretically and someone's actually buying it from you yes and the grid's actually the kind of mediator you know something like that sounds like a you know I, i guess it's something that may be something it's a long way off I think those sort of things move, will move very slowly. Yeah, things that but, move quickly are the devices and and the data and the small, you know the small smart devices that can be, you know, created commercially. Yeah, when you've got large entities such as the national grid, then yeah, those things move very slowly. As we, we always see. Yeah, but yeah, true true community energy would be would be amazing. Really, kind of deconstruct. Uh, the the industry as we see it at the moment it will be um, a much more exciting place to be yeah I always like to look into other sectors and other industries to see what's happening and see whether there's anything that we, we can learn from in a particular sector that I have to be focusing on are there any particular things that you've seen happening in other sectors that you think the energy could could perhaps learn from there's, there's one good example, actually, which I heard recently, which is the sort of thing I guess I'm thinking of, which was on a previous podcast recording. One of the guests said that, you know, made a contrast between ordering a Domino's pizza and onboarding on, a, on an energy company. And I know that ordering a pizza is a fairly linear process. There's not much that can go wrong apart from perhaps someone walking into Domino's and saying that they're filled and walking up with my pizzas that I've already paid for. But are there things that perhaps you've seen which you know we can learn from in energy? That is a really great question. I'm trying to think of where where else you would see it, but it's things like, and I guess with the advent of smart meters, it's less less meaningful. But being able to take a photograph of your reading to get to get accurate billing much more quickly, certainly in areas where there isn't. The coverage, there's 3% of the country that that won't get smart meters for quite some while because they just don't have the coverage. So being able to utilize smartphones and smartphone technologies to scan, to upload, to interact in a way that gives accurate billing without the need for a man in a van to, to turn up and take a reading every six months. I guess with smart with with faster switching and the CSS coming online, having a having a central energy 
account i guess that you have on your on your phone that you can switch between suppliers but you always have that same set of data and that that visibility of your utilization and and consumption across even if you switch every every three months you keep some continuity of data which i think is something that it doesn't happen well at the moment once you switch supplier all of your historic data is gone i'm struggling to think of an example industry where that happens at the moment where you maintain data from one one supplier to the next that's a really nice idea though isn't it where you have it's really customer centric and, yeah. and i think it should be that the the customer should be able to choose and change as you know theoretically as, as frequently as they like and take that data with them i mean it yeah. is it is their data it's data that they they should have access to yeah. in a consistent format I think that's a really nice idea. Mm-hmm. It almost, almost perhaps answers the the final question I was going to put to you, which was, if there's one thing you could change in the energy sector, what would it be? A, a move to being significantly more customer centric. The consumer is forgotten so regularly when it comes to technology, billing systems, industry process. It's all about the data and the consumption and the settlement and the customer's forgotten even when it comes to looking at self-service portals it's often that the customer's forgotten until the last minute it's like oh how are they going to interact with this how are they going to get what they need out of this have we even thought about what they need out of it or is it what we as a supplier need them to do Mm -hmm. so i think that customer centricity is desperately needed Thank you so much, Sarah. That's, uh, that's really been great having you on the uh, on the podcast for this episode. We will be recording many more of these podcasts over the coming weeks. I'll be interviewing exciting guests from the energy sector and from the wider world of business and technology. So until next time, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to The Tech Entrepreneur, brought to you by ClearSky, the digital transformation agency for scale-ups and established business who believe you don't need to be held back by technology. Whether you need software to help your customers self-serve, a mobile app to manage customer engagement, or automation to make sure your staff are spending time on what matters most, ClearSky provides dedicated software development teams in the UK ready to take on your next project. Find out more at clearskylogic.com. Dot com.